This podcast is supported by Red Energy, powered by the mighty Snowy Hydro, a leader in renewable energy. Red is 100% Australian owned and local. Phone 131 806. I'm Jo Stanley, and for years I woke up at an ungodly hour to do breakfast radio. These days, though, my lack of sleep comes from being a mum. Like most parents, I'm just trying to get through the day without yelling at my kid and laugh crying in the middle of the shops. And if I can juggle my career and still get my daughter to eat broccoli every now and then, I'm awarding myself Mother of the Year. I mean, we're all different, but the parenting roller coaster is the same. Sharing our stories of the highs and the lows is so important because it's a lot easier to enjoy this crazy ride when we know we're all in this together. Welcome to Mum Plus One, thanks to Red Energy. Great value electricity and gas, that's Red Energy. Here's an actual argument I had with my 11-year-old. I put a bowl of fairly tasty chicken curry in front of her. Oh, she says, what, I say. She's like, is there mushroom in this? I said, I know you don't like mushrooms, so no, I didn't put mushrooms in it. Still, she's staring at her dinner like it's the enemy. What, I say, I don't like this food, but you liked it last week, I said. (laughs) She says, I'm not hungry, and then shrugs. At this point, there's more steam coming out of my ears than from the rice cooker. I say, just eat the broccoli then. She forces down one stalk, half a bowl of brown rice, then pushes it aside and says, I'm full and I'm completely defeated. How can it be so hard to feed our children? It's the most basic part of a parent's job. Yet from the moment our baby is born, getting nutrition into our child is an endless, exhausting, boring struggle. We feel helpless and guilty and like epic failures. So how did something as natural as nourishing our children become a battleground? And what steps can we take to turn the mayhem of mealtimes into harmonious happy meals? Well, I'm no expert, so today on Mum Plus One, we've got actually Plus Two, Madeline Morris, award-winning journo with the ABC and author of Parenting Guide, Guilt-Free Bottle Feeding, and mother of two young children. Hello. Hello, Jo. That is such a familiar story. (laughs) Oh, my God. I saw you smiling and I thought, oh, we've connected here. And also joining us is Marie-France Laval, dietitian, nutritionist, counsellor, home economist and fussy eater specialist and mother of two adult children. Hello, Marie France. Hello, Joanne Madeline. How are you? I'm well, and I'm very well fed this morning and this afternoon and whenever you might be listening. But uh, my daughter, I can't vouch for that, whether or not she's fed. How about your children, Madeline? They went off to uh, homeschool and kinder this morning fed, but I wouldn't say nutritionally. I'd say with some white toast and some lots of butter and Vegemite. My three-year-old did actually ask, she said, I want some avocado on my toast. Ooh, so fancy. I put, so I put some avocado on the toast and then she said, I don't want avocado on my toast. <laughs> and I had to scrape all of the avocado off, even though she just told me Two minutes before, she wanted avocado on my toast. And this is a very recurrent theme. So, Marie-France, I'm very excited to hear what you have to say about this. (laughs) I'm here to help. (laughs) I hear this all the time. Well, I bet you do. I mean, do all parents struggle to get nutritious food into their children? 
I think it's a very common thing. And the problem is, is probably, is probably where we are starting from. It's to try to get the nutrition in. And that's really problematic, right? Because we all have some knowledge of nutrition. We all have some beliefs. There's quite a bit of pressure to get it right. And we know we haven't got it right if we can see what's left on the plate. So that's really um, what is happening. But we need, so we need to perhaps take a step back and get started again. So what is nutrition really? Is it the macro elements of the food? Is it the, pro the proteins, the, the fats? Is it the, um, the carbs? Or is it the micro elements? You know, is it the minerals? Is it the vitamins? When we're down to that, we really are creating problems for ourselves because our kids are not going to be obedient, you know, um, eaters who are going to look at their plate and say, yes, mommy, I've got my iron and I've got my vitamin C. I'm all set for the day. That's not going to happen like that. So we need to perhaps think about why we eat and how we eat and, you know, um, learn from that. It's very difficult in our culture, can I say, or our Anglo-Saxon culture, because we tend to look at that plate and, you know, expect miracles in terms of nutrition. But it's frustrating as far as, say, Madeline's instance is concerned, and for myself as well. We're both giving meals that our child has indicated they want and like, and yet still they reject. So there can be many reasons why they do that, but they, at three years of age, probably like to push back a little bit and test the limits a little bit. So it's bound to be a bit of a fight just to see what happens, you know, where, how far can I push it? And the more you engage in that and the more you engage into arguing about why it is a good idea to eat the food, the more likely they are to push. Um, so um, perhaps it's important to not to pay too much attention to that, um, the fact that they wanted the food five minutes ago. But if you leave it perhaps on the plate a little while and if you stop engaging, they will eventually perhaps come down and start eating. Mm, that's that's good advice. And this morning I have to say I, I chose my battles. I said, okay, and I took it off. But that doesn't happen every time. Sometimes I feel I feel like I'm in a battle of wills, Marie France, and that's <laughs> and it's a battle I have to win. <laughs> it's a battle you can never win, actually. In fact, with kids, you know, imagine <laughs> imagine them when they clip their lips together as, as babies, you know, you, you're not gonna get a spoon in there. So I, I really think the, the whole take on how we feed our kids is the problem rather than the outcome of what they are ingesting. And if you think about it, you know, when we ingest something, put, put a plate of, um, let's say, crickets in front of you. And now I'm telling you and I'm cheering you along, telling you this is super healthy and you should really have it. Then you're freaking out because, of course, perhaps you never had crickets and I'm cheering you and I'm telling you and I'm selling it to you and the more I'm doing that the less likely certainly the research says that the less likely you are going to um, eat it. Oh so it's some kind of reverse psychology power play that our children do that if we really want them to eat it then they don't want to. There's plenty of psychology behind this it's been very well researched so um, yes you could look at you know uh, the work that's been done in the US on positive reinforcement or even negative reinforcement when trying to fit kids I, I'd rather take it just a normal approach as to family eating you know and perhaps 
getting the joy back to the table and getting the pleasure, the conviviality at the table, that, in my view, is going to deliver. Certainly it delivers in France. Madeleine, you lived in France, so you know that. It does deliver with kids um, because eventually they will be so relaxed that they'll take it upon themselves to eat um, um, and venture into, into eating new foods. But also, um, Madeleine and Joe, your kids, as they grow up, will eat like you. That's what the research says, that they will eat like their men carers. Right. So it's all about providing a positive experience at the dinner table, which is tricky when um, by the time I've served up dinner, bored and exhausted and over it. (laughs) Because I don't particularly like cooking. What do you do if you don't like cooking? Well, you can assemble meals. You don't have to always cook. You have to make your week as easy as possible on you. And I would never want to preach to mums, you know, that they have to cook or they have to deliver that incredible taste. That's hard. Um, but, you know, what? how much time do you have on the Monday? How much time do you have on the Wednesday? Is it when you take the kids to their activities? Therefore, you have perhaps 15 minutes to fix something. So how are you going to do that? You don't have to start cooking a huge deal. Maybe you can put things together. So, Murray France, here here is the list of things my one or two of my children won't eat: orange vegetables, so sweet potato, carrots, yeah. Yeah. pumpkin, uh, beetroot, kale, spinach, mushrooms, capsicum, eggs, sushi. My three-year-old won't eat sushi. What kid doesn't eat sushi? But she will eat seaweed by itself. Avocado, corn. And the list goes on. So I just I feel like I'm at my wits end because I do feel this pressure. You know, it is my job to get the nutrition into them. You know, I look at my kids' poos and if they're the wrong colour, I feel guilty and I feel like that's my fault. It sounds like quite a bit of a list, actually, Madeleine. You may have to work with me. (laughs) (laughs) We'll take take this offline. (laughs) But can I say... um, it's, it's a very interesting list. It has the vegetables and it has some sweet vegetables like sweet potatoes and carrots. So usually these are not too big a deal. If you think about how we acquire taste, we're born liking sweetness. Hence breast milk or formula is sweet. Um, and then we move on. You, you see babies, you know, having their first bite of lemon and they make that sour face. Uh, you see babies then... Adopted, adopting salty, it's not so recommended, but salty taste is really easily acquired. Umami, which is more like the flavor of something that's savory, that's really easy as well. And then there's the big one. The big one is bitterness. Bitterness is really, really challenging. And so it will take a long, long time to acquire. So in this category, think about the green vegetables. Usually they are on the bitter side. Some of us have genetically high sensitivity to some smells, to some of the uh, components of food that are a bit more bitter. So it makes the whole experience of eating vegetables more challenging. Um, Sushi is a very interesting thing. I mean, it's become very popular over the last, say, 20, 30 years. I mean, increasingly popular but um if i had told your parents to eat sushi perhaps they would have looked at me and they would have gone oh that's disgusting really so it really shows that there's a cultural component as well as to how we eat and what becomes really acceptable and um, enjoyable as we learn to eat 
um, in, um, in that control environment. So one of the keys is definitely to learn to eat in a joyful environment because that's how we venture into new foods. So think of a French kid eating snails. They learn to eat snails at Christmas because at Christmas, everybody gathers around the table and they are offered snails as they are um, you know, listening to a joyful conversation. Nobody really pays attention as to whether they are eating the snails, but eventually they have a go. That should really inform how you introduce foods. Um, but what's informing your, how you introduce foods in your family, I bet, is the nutritional content. You're listening to Mum Plus One with me, Joe Stanley. It's all thanks to Red Energy. Red Energy has great value electricity and gas that goes beyond price. Call 131806 today. I find it really interesting, and thank you for this segue, Madeline, <laughs> that you bring up guilt because this doesn't happen in a bubble. It happens within the context of endless cookbooks that tell us it should be easy to prepare beautiful, nutritious food that our kids will love made by chefs that are way better at it than us. Um, it's in the context of influences around us that show us their spectacular lunchboxes that we're not actually providing for our kids. It's in the context of us being probably more educated than ever on the kinds of nutrition and all you, all the minerals and vitamins and everything we should be giving our children. And that then brings, you know, a snowball of guilt, doesn't it? Madeline, and you know, I think that it starts when we first have our baby and we're hit with the guilt of how do we feed our child, which leads me into your amazing book. Yeah, so my book is called Guilt Free Bottle Feeding Why Your Formula Fed Baby Can Be Happy, Healthy, and Smart. And the reason I called it that is because if you believe the hype, if you feed your baby formula, they're not going to be happy, they're not going to be healthy, and they're not going to be smart. And that is the overarching health message that we've had over the past probably 40 years or so. And I wrote this book because I couldn't, I didn't have enough breast milk to be able to feed my baby. Um, so I had to feed her formula or she was going to die. And I felt fine about this. I literally felt fine about it because the options were formula or die. Right. So it, it was pretty, it was a pretty clear choice. Mm. I didn't feel guilty about it. But everyone in my mother's group, I just saw them all struggling with it, all struggling with breastfeeding, and all of them feeling so guilty about it and mm. tying themselves into pretzels. And it be, because they couldn't, they couldn't feed their babies in the way that they were told that they had to in order to provide optimum an optimum life effectively for mm -hmm. their children. And so, um, I mean, there, there's a huge amount of history to this and, and part of the history is the uh, terrible behaviour of formula companies um, decades ago where they were tricking women into, particularly in developing countries, mm -hmm. into not feeding their babies breast milk. And we kind of, a lot of us, a lot of mums lost the capacity and there is a, a historical and an institutional memory that is required to be able to actually have, um, feed, feed your babies um, at the breast. So if, mm -hmm. you, if you don't see your mum doing it, you're less likely to do it yourself. But basically the bottom line is, and we go into this in my book, is um, in a country like ours, the differences between breastfed and bottle fed babies are m minimal. They really mm -hmm. are in outcomes. They are minimal. If your baby is otherwise 
healthy and brought up in a happy, loving environment, the outcomes are, diff- are, are minimal. But that is not the message that we're told. And so the overarching, the stress, I mean, I don't know about you, mm. Joe, but when you when you had your child, did you feel stress around whether you had to breastfeed her or not? Um, well, my daughter was born with a cleft palate, so she was unable to breastfeed mechanically, mm. but the pressure on me to express, so she therefore had breast milk, was insane. Mm. And I kept saying three weeks in, okay, this notion of a letdown is really letting me down because there's no letdown. There's literally no milk. And if you want me to bond with a breast pump and eventually create breast milk, you are delusional. It's just not going to happen. And as you allude to in your book, Madeline, in the end you decide to have a much more loving relationship with your feeding experience with your baby and you just stop torturing yourself. And for me that meant exclusively formula because that was the easiest and best way. And I wasn't tied to a breast pump six, Mm. seven hours a day. And therefore suddenly what you're talking about, Marie France, around this notion of enjoying feeding your child, it becomes easier because it's a loving experience. And I wonder, I mean, I loved having the two of you in here because I feel like you're at the bookends of the feeding experience when we have our first experiences of when a baby is in our arms, Madeline. We can make that loving or we can have it very stressful and just really um, pressured by the, the, the guilt that surrounds that. And then if we get that wrong, does, do we end up with where we are with you, Murray France, with children who won't eat and we're stressed at mealtimes and we can't get the food into them and still we feel guilty? I think- Look, I, I, first of all, I think Madeline's message through her book is so important. It is so important to just stop the guilt. As a professional, the last thing you want to do is pass judgment on moms and put them under pressure in some way. It's so unfair because we all come in here with our story and our beliefs and we have to acknowledge this. And moms are fragile and the responsibility we all understand as moms is that there's survival at stake. So it's a huge pressure from the word go, really huge. And then it goes increasing as you face difficulties. You talk about your daughter having a cliff pilot. That's a huge challenge, a huge, huge challenge. So you need to be supported and you're not, you don't need, you know, you don't want to be judged. You talk about the Instagram perfection. It's, it's extremely hard. I mean, when you see lunchboxes and what people put in there and the d- debate about lunchboxes and somehow teachers getting involved in having a look at what's in the box, and, and I know many are against this now, but, you know, I see families whose kids come back from school and they've been told they should have this and that in their lunchbox. So the guilt is nonstop, and mums feel it in their guts. Really, they do. And I see dads who tell me they're pretty cool <laughs> and mums who are at their wit ends. But and I tell dads, you know, it's because mums, they feel it in their guts. You have to acknowledge this. This is completely different. It's the survival of the species. We are wired for this, sure, for sure. So, um, yes, it's hard. It's, it's almost like we have to combat ourselves to get rid of our guilt and our anxiety. But if we are supported, it's easier. And- but it's interesting, Mary France, because I completely have no guilt about feeding my about feeding both of my babies formula. Yet I have absorbed this this guilt and this stress about as they're older about giving them nutritious foods. But you bring up the dads there. My husband's favourite 
saying is she can't they can't get scurvy in a day. So he will literally <laughs> he will when he does the lunch boxes as he does four days a week, if I ask my three year old what what got packed in, it'll be like carb, 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 cheese. Carb, <laughs> and I have this conversation with him where I'm like, "You can't do that. You need to put some vegetables in there." Mm. And he always responds with, "You can't get scurvy in a day." And and I don't. I mean, I, I guess you can't get scurvy in a day, but you probably can get it after a couple of weeks of the well, same thing. Yeah, exactly. How long do you drag out the days where you go? I can't remember the last time you ate a carrot. Yes. <laughs> How many days can we push that? Oh, is that you know? I, really, that's a tricky question because. <laughs> Um, is it only the lunchbox or is it really days with dinner and snacks without any vitamin C? I mean, you, you know, the, the science says that um, deficiencies are minimal in our countries. There's often some iron deficiency, but when it comes to regular deficiencies, you have to have some severe form of um, um I was going to say malnutrition, you know, really. Um, it's, it's quite rare. And so it's important to not, panic for sure. But I think, again, we place the debate on the wrong side uh, here, on the wrong um, objective, because we're thinking about what is in the lunchbox, really, um, or we're thinking about what's on the plate, but we're forgetting that we need the structure, we need to be able to sit down, we need to be able to have some time to eat. And in school, we need to have some sort of supervision that's not judging what you're eating or what's on your in your lunchbox, but that's allowing you to just sit down and rest um, and, and, eat, and eat eventually. If we do take a different take, uh, a different view, if you take a step back, I think we'll progress in the way that we are able to feed our children, in the way they respond to the food that we put in their lunchbox. That reinforces the fact that my daughter will have sometimes a spectacular lunchbox, but she won't eat it because she says she's run out of time. You know, and I'm like, you've got an hour. How much How much time do you need? But... She doesn't have time to play, though. <laughs> she's got to fit in the play that's and the it. talking. Oh, the talking. And everything else. <laughs> that's it. So you talk about structure, Marie-France, but we're sort of not able to restructure a school day. What do we do? Oh, I'm talking about structure having... You say they have an hour, but in fact, it's not an hour. Often it's more ten, like 10 minutes. Mm. 10 minutes is really insufficient. Your mates are already running around and you want to go and run too. And if you are sitting in the classroom, then it's okay perhaps. But if you're sitting outside on the grass, it's a cold day or a hot day, why bother? Would you like to have a picnic every day, Joe, um, and sitting on the grass? I don't think you would. It, it's very uncomfortable. So it's very, it makes it very difficult to just eat. You're listening to Mum Plus One with me, Joe Stanley, and I'm joined by Madeline Morris, author of Parenting Guide, Guilt-Free Bottle Feeding, and by Murray France, Fussy Eater Specialist. And we need to thank Red Energy for making this podcast possible. Red Energy has great value electricity and gas that goes beyond price. Call 131 806 today. So what we're needing to do is address the experience rather than what's on the plate. I know that there are certain things that I do that are wrong and I don't like to use that word, but for instance, um, I do bribe my child with ice cream. Mm-hmm. That's, Did, ditto. That, that's We're not allowed to do that, apparently. Yeah. Um, I do sometimes, well, like with the mushrooms, we love mushrooms, my husband and I, but I never cook with it because she won't eat it. So I'm changing the menu for her. And on one occasion I did actually 
cook a different meal for her for the rest, rest of us and I hated myself for it. But I know that's a no-no as well. I've uh, just done all of those things as well. <laughs> <laughs> You're not alone. You're not Robinson Crusoe here, Jen. No. So how do we make the experience so amazingly enjoyable that she'll eat anything, even the mushrooms perhaps? Well, you've tried, you know, you've tried all these tricks, the tricks in the books, um, and they have not worked. Mm. So you really know that they have not worked. You need to change your strategy. Mm. So, and by the way, um, again, the research says that providing a bribe is really going to backfire. It's going to make the bribe, so the ice cream, a preferred food. Mm. And your child being smart enough to work out that you've been selling, you've been doing hardcore sales, uh, is going to work out that, yes, there's something really wrong with these mushrooms because mom or dad has been selling them to me like there's no tomorrow, so something's <laughs> wrong with it. So, look, I mean, I I think at 11, it's not too late when your kid's a teenager, if you're still engaging in this, or if I see you in a cafe in, <laughs> in a few years and you say she's 20 and you're still engaging about what it is she's eating, then we have a problem on our hands. There needs a time where you um, actually can take such a step back that you enable your child to take responsibility. And I mean that in a non-judgmental way, but can be empowered to take their steps into eating. Silly thing, cooking. Hello, you may not like to cook, Mm. but teaching your child some basic skills is going to deliver in the long term. And then again, the research shows that. So very important skills can be learned that have nothing to do with eating the food, but that actually teach you about food in a way that's, you know, um, uh, important for the future. So perhaps take a long view and raising a girl, you know, you want to think about, you know, when she's 13 or 14, how she feels in her body, how she's going to view food because the beliefs that we put on our kids, on our daughters, is really going to impact the way they see their body and their weight in the future. And it's important to think about it now. So the end goal is to empower our child to make the right choices as far as how to fuel their body with food that they like. So interestingly enough, you said fuel. So when researchers ask Americans, English and French what they view food as a symbol, how they view it. The Americans in English will say, and I perhaps can add Australians, but I don't think the research was done here. They will say that they view food as a fuel. The French will say that they see it as a tree, like a, a tree growing, you know, the idea of eating. So it's really interesting to me that, again, what's right in food, what's wrong? If you think a food is deemed you know, can be served at your table, then it's deemed good enough. It shouldn't be bad or good. So it's important to be able to say that whatever food you serve, whatever food you cook, even if it's not the best recipe, success for the day, is good enough. Therefore, there's no need to argue that it's value of all virtue. I think, Mary Francis, that you, you've just touched on something which is really important, which we need to acknowledge as well, and that is the huge prevalence of eating disorders Mm. and very unhealthy relationships with food Mm. that so many of us as as women have. And, you know, I was um, uh, never diagnosed, but I would have been, I I think I would have been classified as anorexic when I was a teenager. 
And it took me until I was 30 to to get on top of that, really, and lots of therapy. And I'm fine. You know, I'm I'm great now. But it's interesting with my children, I, I do have these hang-ups. About, I eat very healthily because mm. I prefer to eat healthily. And I want them to eat healthily, not because I want her to be skinny, but I do have in my mind that healthy is better. And yeah. I want them to eat healthily and I and I don't know that I have achieved my goal of not passing on hang-ups that I had myself onto my children. I don't but, know. But and, I'm, I'm trying to yeah. avoid that, but I just don't know if I have achieved that. Well, I would agree with that, Madeline, in that I don't think there is a woman alive who eats a piece of cake without feeling guilty. Yeah. And for me, there's an endless dialogue around, well, I had white bread yesterday, so probably I shouldn't eat pasta today or maybe I'll go for a run to sort of pay off the fact that I did that bad thing. So as you, as you, you know, you speak about virtue and, and you know, we're attributing good and bad to food and is the, is, is what we want to get to Marie France to just call it food. It's just food and just, it's not, uh, it's there's sad, no good and bad. We both say these things. It saddens me really that um, the impact of our culture and there's 9% of the population here that suffers from some form of eating disorder, which is really t- terrible. Um, and I'm a dietitian, so I plead guilty. I think part of that comes from this idea that we have to achieve certain goals through what we eat, um, that we are going to achieve health through what we eat. But my neighbor here, she's a 95-year-old woman who comes from Russia, and she eats you know, big, heavy soups every day. Is she healthier than me eating a plate of kale? You know what I mean? It's so important to be able to take a step back and question our beliefs. You know, if bread one day or cake the next makes you wonder about what you should eat the following day, is it a belief? Is it based on some sort of um, science? Can you question it? And so dietetics has done in that way some harm. If you look at the culture in the US or in the UK where it dictates what's on the plate, you know, the English plate is the meat, the veg, the carbs, and you can see what's not eaten at the end. The English plate really is the problem and it delivers high rates of obesity in the UK and in the US amongst other countries. So to come back to more European style of serving the food where you put it in the middle, you're not so concerned by about what, what's been eating, eaten by the kids or how much is being eaten. You let your kids be empowered, choosing the food that you have put on the table, but choosing from the food. Um, and that's going to deliver much better outcomes in terms of what the kids grow up believing is a safe way to eat. You probably have heard of the division of responsibility that's been coined by an American dietitian who's called Ellen Satter. She's probably the most reputable professional in the field because she's really tried to get back to all of us, to our senses and saying, you know, let's go back to conviviality. Let's be less focused on outcomes in eating. But if you deem the food is right to be served in your home, surely it is. Even if it's pizza. <laughs> Absolutely. Even if it's a rich chocolate cake. So now people go to their dietitian and they try to learn to eat with intuition these days, right? This is the latest thing because we've forgotten how to eat with intuition. We've started to calculate our calories with our apps or we are um, constantly thinking about what it is we have on the plate. 
But we have a very good system here and it's called, you know, it's the capacity to, to sense our food intake um, and babies are born with it. So um, if you let that take charge, it will. And so you'll have a spoon of a super rich chocolate cake and think, wow, this is just the best cake I've ever had. And then you'll have a second one and you think, well, not so good. I've had enough probably. So that, the, the satisfaction in eating, is your best friend when it comes to knowing how much you need. It doesn't need to be a really thought through, analysed activity with eating. So eating with intuition and if we then leave it up to our three-year-old with her avocado on her Vegemite, then if we walk away and let her decide if there's avocado on that Vegemite, then we're training her, we're um, empowering her to make that decision herself. I would put the bread on the table. I would put perhaps um, some spreads. So I would offer her two or three spreads and I would say, hey, darling, here's your little spoon. I can teach you how to do it yourself. Um, and I would sit with her. I would have my avo on toast with my seeds perhaps, if that's what you like, and I would eat it naturally but with some level of enjoyment. And then later on I would teach her that, you know what, today I'm actually going to mix the avocado with the nut um, paste and, wow, what an incredible delight when I actually start chewing it because in here, in our mouth, is an incredible tasting machine, you know? And so we can create flavours, we can all mix it in our mouth and enjoy the moment. I love this as an idea and it's certainly something to aspire to for me because I think what we're doing is we're taking, firstly, the guilt away because food is food. That's the first step. I don't know how you flick a switch and do that but because, <laughs> as you say, Madeline, we absorb it wherever mm. we go. But also... Then to say, um, well, you got to give it the time that it is. And I think you? that that's part of the issue, isn't yeah. it, Joe? Because we're so time poor. Mm. Um, I I'm at work at four o'clock in the morning, so mm. the only meal that I have with my kids is the evening meal when we sit down. But we're rushing, mm. you know. And so what Murray France is saying it all makes so much sense, but actually. It would require a big change in my family in how mm. we think about time management, how we think about food, but I think the outcome would be worth it if we can manage to do it. I'm inspired, Murray France. I'm going to give it a try. Thank you so much for your advice and your time. Pleasure. Madeline, we fight on. But let's not make it a battle. That's the thing. <laughs> oh, I've ruined it already. It's not a battle. It's about the enjoyment. <laughs> it's about the enjoyment. Let's get back to that. Let's go and have some Vegemite and, and avocado yeah, on toast. Yeah, let's do that. Delicious. Yeah, <laughs> and maybe with some chocolate cake. <laughs> you can learn more about Mari France's amazing fussy eating advice at fussyeater.com.au and check out Madeline's awesome book, Guilt-Free Bottle Feeding. So, look, I have trouble believing I'm ever going to start enjoying cooking dinner every night. It is a real drudge for me. I mean, how annoying that kids need feeding every day. (laughs) And I can see that my boredom sometimes shows up in our mealtime experience and definitely on the plate. So all I can say is I'm going to try, try to take more time, try to be more positive with the way I do it. Maybe I'll teach my daughter to cook a little bit more. But I think while I'm trying, we can all try 
by holding hands and agreeing to never compare our kids' lunchbox with anybody else's again. And remember, you can't get scurvy in one day. (laughs) Thanks for listening. Please subscribe so you won't miss an episode. And we'd love it if you could share this podcast with a friend or someone you think might enjoy it. And we'd love to hear about your parenting experiences, the wins and the fails. Jump onto my Instagram at Stanley and get in touch. Thanks to Red Energy for supporting this podcast. Red Energy has great value electricity and gas that goes beyond price. Call 131 806 today. If you love an insightful podcast, Red Energy's podcast lifestyle series is for you. Real estate, cooking, parenting, home design, plus the sport of gardening with Dale Vine. I never thought I'd say it, Jane, but compost is on trend at the moment. It is uh, <laughs> it is as cool as a hairstyle by Dustin Martin, I can tell you. Powered by Snowy Hydro, a leader in renewable energy, switch to Aussie-owned Red Energy today. Red Energy's podcast lifestyle series, available wherever you get your podcasts and the SEN app.